feeding us breakfast. The title of this message is Overcome Self-Pity. You want me to just open the altar now? (laughs) Overcome Self-Pity. You know, as a matter of fact, like, Self, I'm gonna, this is like group therapy right now, and I'm just going to go ahead and make an admission to all of you. I wouldn't have the courage to say this in smaller circles, but there's something about being in front of many people that makes it easier for me to be more vulnerable. And as I was preparing for this message, the reality is I love the feeling of self-pity. I love feeling sorry for myself. And you know how I know that? Because I'm a huge Counting Crows fan. <laughs> Right, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> and there's something about listening to Counting Crows when it's raining and I'm looking through the, the, wind, the glass and the raindrops are just flowing down and then suddenly my face is moist because... And Adam Duritz is just singing to me. And that's me. It, it, <laughs> And, and there's something about feeling sorry for myself that feels like being just wrapped in a warm blanket. My life is hard, gosh darn it. And nobody understands me. And it feels good. That's just my guilty admission to you. And, it, and I know that you all feel the same way, even if there's so much cognitive dissonance that you can't admit it, because every generation, the music industry has monetized self-pity. And if you're not a Counting Crows fan, maybe you're a little bit younger than me, and maybe you are a part of a group of people called emo people. And earlier this morning, I said it was a phase, and somebody was putting on guyliner in service saying, it's not a phase, bro. (laughs) And if you're like, what's emo? It's it's when kids dyed their hair jet black and covered their face and was like, I hate the world. And they listened to bands that made that appropriate. And there was lyrical content about, hey, let's all hate the world together. And we hate people, but let's all pay money to go to concerts. We're all next to each other. It didn't make any sense. Didn't make any sense. And now you have another generation who's like, I don't like people, but I want a ton of followers on social media, which also doesn't make any sense. Am I right? We're all walking paradoxes. And there's something about self-pity that feels so good. And I'm, before I really give you the revelation, this is a free one. The, one of the main reasons why we, life, we love self-pity is because it exempts us from the disciplines in our life. Like I would do the dishes, but I'm all up in my feels. <laughs> the dishes can wait. Self-pity says, don't do the dishes, Mike. There's something about self-pity that exempts us from reality. I don't have to do the disciplines that healthy, normal people do because I feel sorry for myself, and that's the only reason I need. Now, in order for you to understand the deep and profound revelation of chapter 21 of the book of John, you need to know some background. So let me quickly give you some background. The first thing you need to know is that if you were raised 2,000 years ago in a Roman-occupied Jewish culture, you would have been placed early on into tracks. We do this in American educational systems today. We determine pretty early on what we think your IQ is, and then we determine, is this a vocational person, work with their hands, is this, 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 right? We still kind of have some semblance of that today. 
And so what would have happened in their society is if you didn't demonstrate a profound ability to interpret the Torah, then you would be put into a blue-collar track. And there was also a rabbinical track. And the rabbinical track was another way of saying, we think that you can study to, under a rabbi to, want, to then become a rabbi. So the reason why that's of importance to you is because what makes Jesus' selection of the 12 disciples so crazy is they had already all failed at ministry by the time he got to them. And the way that you know they failed at ministry is because they weren't in rabbinical studies. They were fishermen. They were doing blue-collar things. They were, you know, Luke was a physician. They were doing other things than interpreting the Torah. And so for a, for a rabbi, now at this point, Jesus, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus But at the time when he called the disciples. He was renowned, but he wasn't famous yet. He was more like an Instagram influencer. Like maybe he only had 20,000 followers, but he was kind of an influencer still. Like he, his interpretation of scripture was causing him to be known in the region. And then at certain points, there was miracles that were taking place as well. So he was growing in influence, but he wasn't the risen savior yet. Y'all feel me? Yeah. Now, why is this important? Because when a rabbi who's growing in influence comes up to the blue-collar fishermen who've already failed in that department and says there's still a chance for you to do something great for your life, they jumped on board. Because they said, wait a second, you mean the Jesus that everyone's talking about? The Jesus that's earned people's respect? He hasn't been labeled a heretic yet. That Jesus is saying that maybe I can be something great? You know what that feels a lot like? It feels a like, like a lot like going to a marriage conference, like the V1 marriage conference, and watching couples tell their testimony and say, you know what? I always thought I was a failed husband, but maybe I can be a good one. Wow. You know what else it feels like? It feels like, you know, coming to a, a vital women's night. I mean, did anyone do that? And you're watching these women preach and you're thinking, well, man, maybe God can use me to do something great too. Have you ever been in a conference, in a church service and have one of those fleeting moments? Like maybe I won't be jacked up my whole life. Yeah. You ever have one of those moments? You're like, I know I'm really messed up, but I think I might not be messed up forever. You know what I'm talking about? I might be less medicated one day. <laughs> I, I might do something great with my life. And so when Jesus showed up and said, come follow me, they had this moment of maybe I'm going to do something great with my life. Now they follow him around for three years. This is Jesus in the flesh. This is Jesus like you can smell his breath, Jesus. This is Jesus like he just went around the corner and did number two, Jesus. <laughs> and I think that's appropriate for this message because it's just like some of y'all went to Nyack and ministry training and cemetery, I mean seminary, and... Um, <laughs> And you maybe had some good professors, but they had Jesus teaching them. Jesus! Jesus, they slept on floors with him. They, they walked around. I mean, this was like Jesus direct, right? And then all of a sudden, they get right before the crucifixion. And then Jesus says, hey, guys, it's time to turn up the heat. I remember when we first started this journey, we were, we were labeled gluttons and drunkards because we were having a good time. Remember when we turned the water into wine? Okay, now we're getting ready to die. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> seasons have changed. You know, seasons have changed. Sometimes when you become a new believer, it's water to wine. Man, this feels amazing. Six months in, get ready to die. <laughs> seasons change. <laughs> You're gonna have to actually walk this thing out now. I hooked you with the miracle. Now you gotta die with me. <laughs> 
And so he goes to the disciples, can't you be vigilant? Can't you watch and pray? Can't you just stay up? He's championing the cause. And then he even looks at Peter, gives us prophetic word. Peter, listen, I want to give you the disappointing news. I, I, I know I told you that upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. I, I know I told you got great things for your life, but you're going to deny me three times. Oh no, not me, God, not me, Lord. Then all of a sudden, Things play out. The crucifixion is in motion. A little girl, Everly size. The only way I can justify this story is thinking about Everly doing it. Goes to Peter. Are you one of those followers of Jesus? And a grown man who's willing to take a sword and cut off a centurion soldier's ear, but he was aiming for his neck. You know what I'm saying? You don't just chop off an ear. Like if I'm shooting a gun and I hit your ear, I wasn't aiming for your ear, homie. I think that needs to be said. That's deep theology. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this brave man who's championing the cause of Jesus Christ and no, you're going to be a political leader and, and, and Biden is not going to win the presidency and Trump's not going to win. It's going to be Jesus. And, you know, th this, is, this is the way that Peter approached it. I mean, many of the disciples thought that Jesus was going to be a political leader. And, and so the crucifixion didn't make any sense. You mean he's going to die on a cross like thousands of other people, uh, that, that Roman disgusting form of execution? Like how could something so miraculous take place there? Because it doesn't make any sense. And then I'm just giving you background because this chapter will not make sense. And we're going to be here till midnight, but you're going to get John chapter 21. Uh, oh man. Okay. I know who the real ones are. <laughs> you're all blocked in and parking anyways. So, <laughs> getting ready to preach. <laughs> Get ready to preach. So, all of a sudden, this little girl tells him, like, hey, are you one of those followers? And he denies Christ three times. Now, let me keep taking it a step further, giving you the context. Now you have a situation where Judas previously had an issue with how the money was being handled in the ministry. I don't have time to preach it today, but he was the purse holder. Actually, the Bible gives an account that when Judas questioned how the money was being dealt with in the ministry, he opened up a door to a fence in his heart. And the way that the Bible describes it, the original language is that Satan forcibly entered, kicked the doors off the hinges to his heart and entered him. So if you're ever like, how do you get a Judas? The spirit of offense. And, and, and if you want to take it a step further, how do you get a Judas? Cracking the door to a fence, not swinging it open. Because the devil only needs a crack before it kicks the wall down. And as soon as he questioned how the money of the ministry was being spent, he turned into the Judas that you know. So that's, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time for that, what I just did. <laughs> I fooled you. <laughs> I fooled you, it's a trick. So... Now, all of a sudden, that same Judas, he gets to the point where he's in such mental anguish that he decides that the only recourse for turning Jesus in and causing this crucifixion is to end his life. So let me just explain to you what's going on in John chapter 21. Now this chapter is going to hit different, all right? All of a sudden, these failures in ministry get asked to follow Jesus, have a crazy three and a half year journey. Then they fail even harder. 
then one of their friends is dead. Can you imagine? It's like somebody you did ministry with, a dream team member, somebody that you fought alongside of, launched churches with, didn't see that there was a next step for their life and killed themselves, and you show back up. Now, John chapter 21, they go back to the familiarity of mediocrity. And they say, Peter goes, hey, this whole greatness thing, it ain't working out. I think it was hype. I'm just going to go back to my old job. I'm going to be a fisherman. And then all of a sudden, the disciples say, hey, we'll go with you. And here's the revelation. When you choose to go back to your old life, you're always taking somebody with you. When you choose to go back to mediocrity, you're always taking somebody back to mediocrity with you. You want to go fishing? Yeah, I don't see the vision anymore either. Let's go fishing together. But then it gets worse (laughs) because they can't catch fish. (laughs) Have you ever tasted the goodness of God? Have you ever tasted the joy that we had in our midst in worship and try to go back to the club and you say, I'm not even good at sinning anymore. Uh, Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to go back? And you say, just high doesn't feel so high until you've tasted the high that you get from the most high. Does somebody hear what I'm talking about? I failed ministry. Now I failed misery. I don't know what I'm doing with myself. And all the meanwhile, let me tell you what my Jesus is doing. Jesus is, this is the best part, because if I had two camera angles, this is how I would make the documentary. They are failing at fishing. They're failing at mediocrity. They can't even go low anymore. And meanwhile, what they don't know is in another scene, here comes Jesus. He's walking. He's the resurrected Jesus now. He's the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is now, as while they're failing in their fishing, they're failing in their mediocrity, here comes Jesus walking down. Now imagine after the resurrection, Jesus walked like this. <laughs> this is why I said I'll never become a Muslim, because the difference between what Muhammad experienced was private. And, and I don't trust people. So you tell me something happened with you in private, I don't know if I believe you. But see, what I love about Jesus is Jesus was resurrected and straight up did a victory lap and said, oh, you remember me? I'm back. Oh, it's me. It's me. It's me. Hey, what's up? It's me. So that's why he's probably walking like this. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Coming back for my boys. (laughs) The boys are back in town. (laughs) See how, how good John chapter 21 is? Some of you are like, now I'll read the Bible. <laughs> so they're failing. They're failing at mediocrity. They're failing at going back to their own life. But then this is the next revelation, and it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Jesus now is on the, dis- on the distant shore, and they're out there, and he approaches them. And all of a sudden, as he's approaching, he's like, hey, hey, children, hey, friends, Did you catch anything? (laughs) Ah! Jesus, Jesus was hosing them. Hey, hey, you catch anything? And it's just like Jesus to watch us go back to our old life and be like, hey, yo, is that doing anything for you? (laughs) Hey, is life better since you stopped going to church? Is life better since you discommunicated? Is life better? 
Is it better offended? Is it better in gossip? Is it better? Did you catch any fish doing life your way? Then all of a sudden, see, you're going to let me preach till midnight. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> this is how I like to preach. No series, just random. So, <laughs> so then all of a sudden from a distance, he asked him, did you catch any fish? Now, here's why, though. This is the serious. The reason why is because the first step to actually your, making your comeback is admitting your failure. So he had to get them to admit it. And the thing I hate about trying to lead people is when they don't admit their own failure. I can't help people like that. Pastor Mike, mentor me. I'm like, I can't because you're too smart and you've, you know too much. I, I, I can't. And, and so like, like I, for years, for years, how's your marriage, Jesus? How's your marriage? It's great. It's great, God. He's like, I can see in your boat from the shore. It's empty. I, you know, how's your ministry? Oh, it's great. It's great. How your boat's empty. I can see it from the shore, yo. And so all of a sudden, Jesus, it, it's like a requirement that you admit that you failed. It's a requirement. I mean, do you want to know what the real catalyst of V1 Church launching was? Is me going back to my pastor's office and trying to quit ministry and admitting all my failures. I didn't know it then, but that's when I qualified myself. He said, oh, you're ready for the comeback. Because now you know what you're coming back from. And it's not disillusionment. <laughs> So then, next, Revelation, John chapter 21. You're going to be a theologian. All of a sudden, from a distance, they couldn't perceive it was Jesus. What does that mean? Often, when Jesus is getting ready to do a new thing in your life, you'll attribute it to the devil before you attribute it to Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the book of Matthew, it, it talks about Jesus actually coming upon the water. And then from a distance, they looked and they said, what is it? It's a ghost. And so oftentimes when Jesus is doing something that breaks our brains in our life, when Jesus is doing something that we don't have a theology for, when Jesus is doing something that we don't have a framework, framework for, it's easier to blame it on a ghost. It's easier to blame it on a devil than it is to attribute it to Jesus. And now listen, these are people, you, got, you, got, you can't give them any credit. They spent three and a half years with Jesus, which means they should know his figure and his form from a distance, but they didn't have a revelation. And it's just like going to church and being like, I don't know if Jesus is in this V1 thing. I, I don't know if Jesus could speak through a guy who looks like that. I hear you. <laughs> I don't know. Does Jesus speak through women? I'm just asking because see what happens is even the experienced Christians, even the three and a half year journey with Jesus Christians didn't even acknowledge Jesus when he was doing a new thing. So could it be that Jesus is moving in your midst and you're a super Christian so much that you're blinded by your own bad theology? Could it be? Because they didn't have a theology for Jesus standing on the shore. And then all of a sudden, but here, now this is the redemptive moment. And this is one of my favorite moments in the text. It says this. He says, cast your net on the other side. And here's what happened. They did it. And this is where you have a revelation of why they were chosen to be the disciples. They weren't chosen because they were intelligent. They were chosen because they were obedient. They weren't chosen because they were brave. You see them run like cowards when they're confronted at the cross, but they were obedient. 
and they were the kind of people that would keep showing up. I don't even need brave people. I don't even need intelligent people, just people who obey the voice of God. And they cast their net on the other side. And then, but here's another reason why I think they couldn't have known it was quite Jesus, because would a fisherman really listen to a carpenter about how to find fish? And see, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes we can do that. Well, what do you know about my life, pastor? Who are you, preacher? Who are you, person? And yet God's like, listen, if you will listen and obey, you will have an abundance that you can't even contain. And then all of a sudden, it says, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. You guys help me out with this. <laughs> and this, this, to me, is my Jesus. Jesus comes back from the resurrection now, the reason why I had to give you the full context is very simple now. He comes back from this crazy experience of being resurrected from the dead, confronts them on the shore, and starts making breakfast. Now, how, what sense does that make? Breakfast? He's got charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it, and Jesus said to them, hey, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. What is breakfast? Breakfast means break the fast. Breakfast is a ritual. When you wake up in the morning, you have not eaten through the duration of the night, and it's a natural response to want to eat. Break the fast. It's a ritual. Now, for most of us, the way that we've come to understand God through religion is condemnation. So our version of Jesus, this is how he shows up. We're not catching any fish and we're failing. And John chapter 21, written by most of our theologies, would sound like this. Hey, it's Jesus. Get on this shore, you screw-ups. I spent three years investing in you. I told you I'm Jesus in the flesh, you dummies. Get out here. Then Jesus, then they get to the shore. Sit down. How many times did I tell you? I preached this sermon 47 times. Peter, you're the worst one. I told you you are going to deny me. You did it anyways. How stupid could you be, Peter? This is our Jesus. This is our, this is why we, this is why the testimonies, I don't know if I could come back to church because that's what Jesus does to you when you get into the sea by most of our theologies. But see, the reason why they give you the, the background to John 21 was because Jesus, and this blows my mind, never mentions their failure. <laughs> Jesus never mentions it, never mentions it. He just makes a breakfast for them. See, see, the Bible gives an account. The Bible gives an account that Jesus made it a custom to wake up early before all the disciples. And he would separate himself and get away and pray and spend time with the Father. And so it would have probably been normal for Jesus to come out of a place of prayer and prepare a breakfast for them. It would have been a ritual in their life. You know, isn't it kind of comforting if you've ever had a dad or maybe a husband in your house and they wake up before you and it's sort of this form of comfort, they're already up. 
I wake up very early every day. My wife, she, she has communicated that a lot. It's so comforting knowing that you're already awake. I don't know why that comforts her, but there's something about this thought that Jesus would have probably been up early and breakfast would have been a normal thing. Over the course of three years, they would have ate together breakfast many, many times. Because, and here's the revelation. The revelation is this. Oftentimes when you get deep into self-pity, the first thing that you lose is your ritual. Self-pity robs you of ritual. And for those of you who are struggling to try to discern why is ritual so important, if I want to break your psyche, I can throw you in a hole without a window and lock the door and take your ritual away and your mind will break. Men in the hole experience this all the time. There's something about ritual that's so important. And so when we get into self-pity and we feel like we failed and we feel like we can't get back, the first thing that we do is start giving up ritual. I'm not coming back to church. I'm not coming back to serve. I'm not coming back to my marriage. Date night is out of the question. It's like we abort ritual. That's always the first thing to go. So Jesus in his infinite wisdom said, hey, come, come eat breakfast. I know what you need. You need ritual. They were expecting a beating. They were expecting a rebuke, but what they received instead was breakfast. I don't know who's hearing me tonight, but there's a ritual that God wants to reinstall in your life. This place of coming to him in intimacy, to wake up early, to rise up with your day and share the breath of God, to literally get into that place where you know that you've been with him, that you know that you've had a plate of intimacy before all the madness of work and all the madness of marriage and all the madness of singleness in a, in a world this crazy. There's just something about the ritual of breakfast that is reinstalled in this moment. But see, Earlier in the resurrection account, one of my favorite parts is where this angel messenger is sent. And the angel messenger from God literally is sent with the assignment, hey, tell all the disciples that Jesus is resurrected, but especially tell Peter. Why? Because he knew that Peter was off in self-pity. Peter had lost his way. Peter had forgotten the call and the destiny on his life. And so he said, hey, tell everyone, but especially tell Peter. And I'm here for the especially kind of people tonight. I'm here to tell somebody in the room that Jesus is risen. The power is real. Your destiny and your purpose is real. And I'm especially here to tell John. I'm especially here to tell Anthony. I'm especially here to tell Sarah. I'm especially here to tell you. You. And Jesus takes them through this breakfast experience and he says, Peter, come on, let's have a talk. Let's have a talk, Peter. Peter kind of goes to the next step with them. Jesus never brings up his failure. This is the second solution to actually overcoming self-pity. He says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, Jesus, you know I love you. He's like, okay, I know you love me like a friend, but I'm going to ask you again, do you love me like a brother? Do you love me? Peter says, Jesus, 
And Peter's probably rehearsing the moment that he fell off. How many of you are in church services rehearsing the moment that you fell off? Rehearsing the moment, thinking, why am I here? Everyone's got their hands in the air. I don't even feel worthy. But the Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace. And as he's rehearsing the moment of failure in his mind, Jesus asks him again, do you love me? And he says, yes, Jesus, I love you. I love you unconditionally. Jesus, knowing that what Peter's future entailed was actually dying on a cross upside down for him. And so I'm here to ask somebody the question, do you love Jesus? He's still asking the question, do you love me? But this is probably the most profound revelation. Jesus responds, okay, you're ready for the next step feed my sheep that was the very thing that Peter felt like he was not qualified to do you don't understand Jesus I denied you you don't understand Jesus I messed it all up you don't understand Jesus I'm a failed fisherman now he said hey feed my sheep and what does that mean for some of you in this room some of you listening right now need to hear this after all of the hype that you felt about yourself is dissipated because God will allow you to go through just enough failure to prove that when you accomplish the destiny, he's the only one worthy of the glory. He'll let you go through all the failure to say when it happens. See, the dream was real. Somebody say the dream was real. The dream was real, but how you were getting to the dream didn't look like what you planned, but the dream was real. He said, feed my sheep, Peter. I didn't lie when I told you that upon this rock, I was gonna establish my church and not even the gates of hell were gonna prevail. I didn't lie when I told you the dream was real, but when it happens, you're gonna know it was because of me. And so the second solution is self-pity. Are you ready for this? Get on mission. Get on mission. Do the work. Do the work. Do the work. Get on mission. Revival is spelled W-O-R-K. Would you stand to your feet with me? Restore the ritual. Do the work. Restore the ritual do the work restore the ritual do the work restore the ritual do the work say it with me restore the ritual do the work restore the ritual do the work i'm gonna pray jesus i promise you i'm waking up monday and i'm praying like it was sunday jesus i'm getting into the word i'm gonna read the bible i promise jesus i may not understand it but give me revelation i'm restoring the ritual and i'm doing the work I don't know how to park a car, but give me a vest, I'm parking a car. I don't know how to evangelize, but everybody who knows me is about to know about the saving power of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you feel like, Pastor, this word was for me. This word was for me. I've been so much in self-pity. I've been so emo. I've been so much in my feels. You know, for me and my wife, I, I feel sorry for her. I had, I, I, so much of our marriage has been a 15 year journey of my self pity being narrated for her. And I always had a reason for it. 
Oh, those pastors who are second generation have dads that handed them churches. They don't know how hard it is to start as a pioneer. And then the second generation pastors say, oh, the pioneering pastors have it easier because no one tells them what to do. See, the thing about self-pity is that self-pity can narrate anyone's life. Self-pity will always tell you a story to demobilize the mission in your life. Self-pity will always tell you why self-pity is justifiable. Self-pity will always find a way to narrate you into depression, narrate you into suicide. Self-pity will always bring you to that place. No matter what your story is, self-pity will always tell you a story to cancel your destiny. But there's two people, and I want to end on this story. There's two people. There's Judas and there's Peter. See, Judas was so much in self-pity, he couldn't see a way of redemption. He ended his life. And then there's Peter. Peter said, you know what? Me waking up, my feet touching the ground, that's survival. That's got to be enough. Has anyone ever gotten to the place where surviving is all you could do? That's it. All right, God, the work I'm doing is I put my pants on today. You know what I'm talking about? Can we be a church that's real? The biggest mission you accomplish is you put pants on one day because the, the, the crippling anxiety and the depression and, and people don't understand what it's like to go through some stuff, man. I'm a product of abuse. I know what it's like. And you come from those places and you're like, well, and I think Peter was like, I'm a fighter, but sometimes fighting just means I brush my teeth today. And I, I'm believing that we got a church full of Peters. Peter wasn't perfect, but Peter just kept showing up. You know, I love you, Jesus. You know how I know I love you? Because I'm still here and Judas isn't here, but I'm here, Jesus. That's all I could do. I know I messed up. I know I've fallen short, but I'm still here. I know Judas is gone, but I'm still here. I feel like God's honoring somebody's choice to still be here. I want to tell you a story from this morning. I preached this sermon first service. All of a sudden, first service is over and I was meeting the guests like I often do. And this, this little... Indian woman came up to me. She said, I want to tell you about my life. I said, well, hey, second service is starting, but go ahead. <laughs> and she began to tell me my husband was a delegate in India, and throughout our entire marriage, we traveled the whole world. We had the most incredible life, Pastor Mike. We had so much fun, so much adventure. We saw the world together. We had a purpose together. But Pastor Mike, four years ago, my husband died. She said, for the last four years, I've been in self-pity. In the last four years, I've been trapped. She said, Pastor Mike, I'm from India. And she said, here in New York where I live, I went from church to church, religion to religion. And she said, I started to make preparations because I said, I don't want to even live anymore. And she said, as I made prep, this happened this morning. She said, I made preparations to end my life. And, and I, I knew how I was doing it, but before I did it, I said, I'm going to go from church to church and religion to religion. I'm going to give God a chance to speak to me. And I went to all these churches, all these religions, and never heard a word from God. And the last church I showed up to is V1 Church this morning. 
And she said, I want to thank you for giving my life back to me because I'm choosing to live and not die. And I'm choosing to break free from self-pity. And I'm choosing to go the way. And then she told me, and this wrecked me so much. And she said, and Pastor Mike, today, I'm not Judas. I choose to be Peter. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Literally, there's a video of me bawling my eyes out as this woman told me. I told our load-in team. I said, I, I found them in the huddle and they just got done packing back in two truckfuls of gear. I told them that story and then I asked them, was it worth it? Was it worth it to give up some extra sleep so that somebody can live to see another day? Was it worth it? You restore the ritual and then you do the work. You restore the ritual and you do the work because the dream, it was always real. The dream was always real. Would you close your eyes with me?